0: Well, Happy New Year, everyone.
1: Happy Happy New New Year. Year. Happy 2024. (laughs) New Year, new us. Yes, we like to think so.
0: That's the goal.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we'll see how long we can keep it going.
0: I mean, I think we're already going to fall off the deep end in about five minutes, but we'll try.
1: We'll do our best. We're going to be buttoned up this time.
2: Oh, yeah. 2024
1: is all about professionalism.
2: (laughs) All right, all right. Let's let's not go that far. No one believes him, don't worry.
1: Look, I just had this conversation with Applebee's uh, CMO Joel Yashinsky, and he told he said their marketing is all about the 90/10 rule, which is 90% in your wheelhouse, 10% you stretch a little bit. And I think we can apply that to everything, right? If we applied it to this podcast, 90% professionalism, 10% who knows what happens. <laughs>
2: I was wondering you what you were going to say that 10% was. 10% <laughs> absolute chaos.
1: Yeah. 10% Holly saying, I've never tried that major chain before. Yeah.
0: <laughs> no, that was my resolution for this year is that oh, I'm going to try 10 new chains. Oh, that's good. I wow. love 10. this.
1: Yeah, that's a good resolution. I like it. Mm-hmm. You've got to document it. I mean, uh-huh. If you don't document it and create content out of it, it not It never
2: happen. happened. Yeah. 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 If we're going to check in. in.
1: <laughs> we could even have bonus extra serving podcast episodes, and it's Holly trying this new restaurant for the first time and weighing in on what she thinks about it.
0: Yeah. So far on my list is Texas Roadhouse. Right. I hop.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, so just hop. to be clear, you've made the list already. You're not just, like, going to throughout the year be like, I never been there before, therefore I'm going to go there. But you have a targeted list already.
0: I have a few targeted areas and okay. um I just always wanted to try Texas Roadhouse because I think why not? Um and it's then fun to IHop, see what
1: peanuts on the floor looks like.
0: Yeah I'm very curious about that. But I hop I'm like I feel like I should go to an IHOP. Yeah. There's no reason behind it. I just feel like I should go to one. I Here's love the an thing. IHOP.
1: Here's the thing, Holly. These restaurants are Americana, right? Like, they, they just ooze the American spirit. So you really haven't tapped into what it means to be an American until you have visited IHOP and Texas Roadhouse.
2: <laughs> it's true. You're not a real American.
1: <laughs> right.
0: I should try Golden Corral, too.
1: Yeah, it's absolutely. To in there.
2: It's an have experience. You
1: to, have you been to any buffet? Did, did we decide this last episode you've been to no buffets? Is that no, right?
2: we've t- oh, She's been a buffet. Buffet.
0: the hotel buffets
1: okay didn't you oh.
0: didn't you like make your parents yeah take I've you to a buffet one, yeah one real buffet in my life okay and
1: that buffet maybe just ruined you to the whole buffet experience
0: No, no no my family doesn't like
1: buffets
2: I think they're great.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, yes, you have to have an, a buffet. As I
2: I want you to visit a buffet, maybe Golden Creole, maybe a different one, and then see it lives if it lives up to the memory that you created when you were like six or seven. Well, that was Chinese, and it was really good. Ooh. Okay. okay. So I cool. also everything. I, I would love. also love for you to get like all dressed up like you did for that experience when you were a kid. Yes, I always, do. <laughs> yeah, I always. I always do. Okay. And
1: just to right. reiterate. Document with photos and videos.
2: Yes, (laughs) exactly.
1: Holly, if I need to hire a professional videographer to follow you on this, you know, do like a ball gown, like dress up in a ball gown and walk into a Golden Corral. We're going to put that on YouTube.
0: (laughs) Where I just taste test everything on the menu.
1: I mean, that sounds amazing. Honestly, I'll dress in a ball gown if I can walk into a Golden Corral (laughs) and try everything on the menu.
0: You heard it here first, That's folks. A, yeah. <laughs> That's a promise. <laughs> That's a promise.
1: Somebody send me a ball gown and we will make it happen.
0: <laughs> you could wear one of Mabel's.
1: Yeah, I could squeeze into my seven-year-old's gowns. That sounds, I'll stitch them all together. How about that?
0: I mean, I think it'd be entertaining to see just like a little bit of a dress on your neck and then no, nowhere else. It'd fit over your head.
1: I will say not to get off too much on a tangent before we talk about restaurant news, Mabel got her first makeup kit this year for Christmas. And, um, I, I, I was one of the first subjects
0: Yeah, and there are course.
1: photos. So depending on how you, nice you guys are to me, perhaps you can see those. But, um, and then I saw, uh, on Instagram, that is a thing. Like all the, these dads were posting on Instagram mm-hmm. photos of themselves, uh, of their daughter's first makeup kit. That's kind of a thing. So, um, I mean, look, makeup washes off, so it's not a big deal, but, uh, Photos exist, incriminating photos. I guess you could say. Noted. Yep.
0: And maybe if our listeners are lucky, we'll attach to the show notes.
1: Fat chance, but uh, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see.
0: I don't know. You're you're dangling it out there. I feel like everyone needs to see this now.
1: I hereby retract my last thirty <laughs> seconds.
0: Yeah, you can't do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's it's recorded. It's it's here forever. True.
1: It's just out there now.
0: Like most of our bloopers that I keep to
2: myself. (laughs) If you have a blooper folder, I feel like that's content we could uh, string together.
1: We should have done that in the 2023 bloopers. Yeah, annual blooper reel. Yeah.
0: Well, and I also have several clips of Sam saying you're right to Leanne because she asks for those. And so I do have a folder (laughs) of those too.
1: (laughs) When Leanne's having a hard day, she just plays those back.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Sam you don't know it yet but my performance review this year I have like receipts and (laughs) listen 87 times you said I was right
1: (laughs) I say you did something wrong huh funny because you say otherwise here you
2: said (laughs) I was right (laughs) all right guys let's talk about restaurant news
1: (laughs) yep that was our 10 10%. (laughs) percent
2: yeah it's over it's
0: over we've eaten up the 10 percent we are done All right, so one of the biggest stories of last year was the California minimum wage going up to $20 an hour in April, Um, but the state also raised it to $16 to start the year off. Um, In response to that, two of the largest Pizza Hut franchisees in California um, have laid off 1,200 delivery workers of their in-house delivery workers. Um, What does this pretend for the future of delivery, in-house delivery?
1: It's hard to say because you know there there's pros and cons, of course, to having in-house delivery drivers. Until recently, you know, until Domino's finally caved and, and started using third-party delivery, um, it was always a badge of honor for Domino's to have its own fleet of delivery drivers. Mostly because, um, of course, the biggest part of all of that is control over that experience. And the thing most restaurant companies hate the most about third-party delivery is the control that goes out the door the moment they take your food um, to the customer and you're not controlling that experience. Uh, of course, there's also the um, cut they take of every order. And, um, and so it's also not as profitable as having your own fleet. That said, every restaurant with its own delivery drivers also knows it's expensive to have delivery drivers because you're not just paying their wages. There's also the insurance and all the other things you have to cover. Um, it's hard to recruit delivery drivers. I mean, I've been into multiple restaurants recently, Delivery oriented restaurants with the big sign in the window, delivery drivers needed. So um, the third party delivery companies have become a much needed uh, answer to those challenges for the companies. Um, But, you know, bringing us to this, um, the wage uh, increase in California and how this is a response to it. It does make sense because now you can outsource part of your labor, and save money in the long run, even though you're giving up a cut of every cost that's being delivered because of what the third party delivery takes in the long run, you're still saving money, but it is at the risk of every single one of those orders being out of your control. Um, Is this the future? It's hard to say, because I mean, so much of this industry is cyclical. And with something like this, I could see this being cyclical too, where five years down the road, Everybody's complaining about quality of service and quality of off-premises orders and the amount of time it takes to deliver an order. And a Pizza Hut comes out and says, we're going to do in-house delivery. You know, like that is very much um, something I could see happening just because the industry is cyclical, but also because, again, of the benefits of in-house delivery and what that could end up becoming down the road as a potential um, option. But I won't be surprised if we're going to get to see more of this out of California in particular, more franchises, more California based companies saying, Hey, we're switching to, we're outsourcing this in order to save money because it's, it's going to be a big challenge to have to increase your minimum wage and still maintain profitability without either outsourcing or just increasing your costs a lot and we or increasing your price a lot. And we might see that too.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think that <clears throat> delivery trends have been going this way for a while. Um, and a lot of this particular story makes me think that these franchisees have probably been thinking this way for a while. And this gave them an excuse, something to pin it on. It also, you know, it's not news that franchisees and restaurant operators um, don't like this bill, don't like the minimum wage increase and other things about it. We've been talking about it for literal years on this podcast. And so here's an opportunity to, like, make a business move that, like, you were probably going to make anyway and pin it to a piece of legislation that you don't like, you know, and continue influencing public opinion that way. That's just a guess. I mean, the timing of it just feels like, you know, cause, cause nobody knows exactly what the long-term impact of this bill will be because it's been in effect for like four days at this point, not even. And you know, our colleague Alicia Kelso pointed out yesterday that when things like this have happened in the past, she talked specifically about um, Obamacare and when that was implemented more than 10 years ago, And how really the long-term effect of that, you know, businesses reached out in the same way and said, you know, we can't afford this, we're going to have to lay people off, it's going to have such a negative impact on the industry. But the real long-term effect is that people had more money to spend, and one of the places they spend money is restaurants. And so, you know, like, for all the money that you may lose here, paying your employees a living wage, you could make it up from other restaurants employees who now have more disposable income and can spend it at your restaurant. You know what I mean? Like, it's one of those things that like, yes, it's tough at the beginning, but like, probably like, is all going to come out in the wash, you know, in another 10 years when hopefully everyone in America is making at least $20 an hour, like, we're all going to look back and be like, man, remember how the restaurants freaked out about this?
1: (laughs) The same
2: way we look at, you know, Obamacare and like, however you feel politically about Obamacare, like, It did not take down the entire economy.
1: Yeah, it's a great point about sort of the optics of this stuff, too, because I I do think a lot of the companies like to make a big stink about it because they're trying to win over that public support in order to stop any further. Because let's face it, businesses in California want this to be a cluster. They want this to fail because they wouldn't love nothing more than for it to be reversed if it was discovered that it's going to really tank the California economy. And and you're right. I mean, it, it, we're four days into this. We don't know how it's going to go. Um, it could yet take the California's economy. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, like everything, it'll probably be somewhere in the middle. But um, but that's probably what a lot of this is about. Now, this bill, I think, is most interesting from the perspective of um, will other states follow? And, and we've kind of talked about it before. But, you know, California is obviously extreme on the left and extreme on progressiveness when it comes to bills like this. And, um, but you know, there are a number of more progressive leaning States that tend to line up behind California and follow suit with similar, um, legislation And so we're just kind of waiting to see if that does happen. Will Illinois follow suit? Will New York follow suit? And if they do, you know, this will become a bigger topic of conversation and will have implications for something like third-party delivery. Will more companies, um, you know, start to outsource some of their talent? Now, a a last point I'll make, too, is, um, you know, somebody like, uh, I believe Chipotle was one that came out. Chipotle, of course, based in California, they came out and said, oh, you no, know, no, we're not going to, you know, fire anybody. We're not going to get rid of it, if any labor. We're going to increase our wages, you know, no big deal. But Chipotle is not franchised, right? And so there's also a story here along the lines of, you know, franchises versus corporate. Corporate might subsidize, you know, this a little bit more easily than a franchise could. Um, of course, you have non-California-based companies with franchises in California, you um, and so a lot of questions being asked, and um, and I think 2024 will be very interesting to watch how do California restaurant businesses do after this legislation? Because honestly, if we get to the end of the year and, you know, they did okay, they raised prices, people still came to Leanne's point, more people have money in their pocket to eat at their restaurants. If it ends up being a good thing, you're going to see those other states line up to do the same thing mm-hmm. in 2025.
0: Well, I mean, to Leanne's point, not only are restaurant workers getting the $20 an hour in April, it's going to force every other industry in California to move up to $20 an hour. So retail workers are going to be getting $20 an hour. And so it's, it is going to be a lot more money in people's pockets to spend. And these, I know like Jack in the Box said at their last earnings call that they are going to have to raise prices in response to this. Like, I mean, I, I really think that all these companies could stand to pay their workers more and still make a profit without putting the onus on the consumers, but I'm not in their finances. I don't know, but these are giant, like top 25 companies. Like they, they can make it work without throwing it back on the customer.
1: If it's corporate, right. I mean, that's, again, when it comes to like, if you have a mom and pop franchise, that's where it's, there's just so much nuance here. And so that's why I think we're going to learn a little bit more about how, how this all falls um, at that, at those levels, franchise, corporate, big business, smaller business uh, in, in the year ahead.
0: Well, I think if you're not subsidizing your franchisees, then you're doing something wrong. Well,
1: that's a whole other podcast there, Holly. <laughs> <laughs> we can talk about the franchise model another day.
0: Because
1: <laughs> you're not about to run out and pay for your franchise's labor costs. I mean, that's, but, but, you know, there could be something, I mean, you know, as part of your franchise agreement, you know, it might become where the um, franchisor does have to start, you know, coming up with more solutions to accommodate these higher wages, or you're just going to see more of these franchisors developing automation to help their franchisees have solutions to get around it. Right. So it will be a big thing in the franchising industry to figure out, to come up with some solutions to the labor costs.
0: Well, and a lot of brands in the wake of the huge labor crisis that we had two years ago at this point, a lot of them raised wages. So for some of these brands, it's not that big of a jump. Um, than it would have been five years ago. It's, it's really increased because they had to pay more to get workers. And so they had to give more benefits and they had to do all these things. And so I think that it's not as big of a leap as some of these brands are making it out to be, but, um, some people just love the drama.
2: (laughs)
1: Some people do love drama. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I mean, well that included. also
2: means that like, obviously they're giving the raises to their current employees, but it means that in the next wave of hiring, because we all know that employment in this industry ebbs and flows, like they could end up with higher quality workers now because they're paying more, you know, people who might've defaulted to a different industry just because it paid more, like might consider restaurant work now. So lots right. of And I think, here.
1: you know, and we've talked about on the podcast too. I mean, it, it, it bears um reiterating you should be trying to pay your employees more and because it does benefit have long-term benefits and if you look at a lot of the um you know best players in hiring recruitment and retention it starts with better pay so like you know i, I don't know that many people would disagree with that but of course it's when you legislate that higher pay and and the other thing too we haven't really t- you know gotten into um, but when you raise the low bar for everybody, your higher bar has to be higher, right? You know, mm-hmm. because if it's minimum wage of $22, so McDonald's is paying $22, Chick-fil-A has to pay 25 right? Like, um, there's a lot of that going on. But, but suffice it to say, I think we can all agree, you should be paying better. If you're not in California, you should pay better, even though it's not legislated, partly because it could be legislated someday, but also because- You're just going to attract better um, talent if you do. Totally. I
0: think everyone should be
2: paid more. Wink, wink.
1: Right. Yeah, nice (laughs) try, Holly.
2: I definitely pay you more than $20 an hour. (laughs) Anyway, let's move on. (laughs) All right.
0: So let's talk about the first company to go public this year, Pinstripes. They only have 15 units. It reminds me of some of the companies went public last year but um it's an entertainment brand which is an interesting thing but they also were supposed to go public last year they got that SPAC deal in June um and then there was I don't know what the issue was probably a bunch of legal stuff and then they went public on January 2nd they they're going to ring the bell on the 19th um so do you guys think that this is going to be a big year for uh people going public I mean we have Panera that's been rumored for a long time, but it really seems like they're getting their act together. Um, I mean, do you think this is going to be a big year for IPOs? We had kind of a quiet one last year.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think we've been saying for a while that 2024 would be a busy um, IPO year. And I feel like pinstripes going public on January 2nd was just like indicative of like, all right, buckle up. Here we go. Um, They did initially say in June that they would go public by the end of 2023. Um, they made a bunch of changes to their C-suite around October, I think. So it really strikes me as like less of a problem thing and more of just like <clears throat> they took their time and were really deliberate about it. Um, yeah, I mean, I hope they're successful. I'm not really familiar with Pinstripes beyond what we've reported. I've never been to one. Um, perhaps something to add to my own list, visit a Pinstripes. Um but I do think it's just the first of what will probably be many, 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 uh, you know, at the end of last year, I was going to write like a roundup analysis of all the IPO activity in 2023. And then I could not come up with enough news stories we had written, even just including things about like so-and-so might go public. Um there's just like, there was no, very little, I think we wrote maybe seven stories about IPOs in any sense. And like, one of them was like, Fogo might go public, but then they were acquired by a private equity firm. So like opposite of that. Uh, But I do remember finding that pinstripe story from June and thinking, oh, that's interesting. I wonder if they're still working on this. And so when Ron said on January 2nd, that pinstripes had gone public, I was like, oh, that, yeah. Okay. That's not a surprise. So it does feel very much like a buckle up, get ready. Like this is what, this is what the industry is doing this year.
1: Yeah, I guess two things. I mean, the first thing is, um, first is to see the continued success of the entertainment category. Um, I've been curious to see what would happen with that because um, on one hand, it is, it does sort of smack of just very trendy of the moment, kind of a category. Would this really have legs for the future? Um, of course, coming out of 2022, and there was a real hunger for experiences. Um, you know, it seemed like that it, it really fit the moment, and um, I, I was a little cautious of the the category just because it just struck me as you know we're going to run out of white space, so to speak, for these things a lot faster than your typical category because a they have these giant footprints. And B, there's only so many unique experiences like a bowling alley or dart throwing or pickleball that you can put into one community before it's saturated. Um, So I guess it's interesting to see. I mean, this does seem to be indicative of, you know, just continued growth. Um, Now, that's not across the board, right? I mean, not every entertainment category is going to... To take off um something like bowling is a, is a fairly low-hanging fruit when it comes to eat entertainment um pickleball will be the one i'll be most curious to watch because that is that's that is as 2023 as it comes right so like can that continue into the future we'll see but suffice to say there's some longevity here let's see in 2024 how that goes second part though uh is you know just the financial markets in general in 2024 because in 2023 and before Um, A lot of investors were on the sidelines. There wasn't a lot of appetite for investment because of, of course, the interest rate being so sky high um, and just a lot of uh, uncertainty around the economy in general. I mean, we've been saying we're going to go into a recession now for three years. Uh, That appears likely to not be the case anymore. The interest rate has plateaued likely. Um, you know, the Fed is not, or has indicated that they're going to, um, lower the interest rate this year. Mm-hmm. So, um, that would suggest that the financial markets will open up a little bit. Um, you know, there could be more private equity, uh, deals this year. There could be more, um, just, you know, personal investment um, at the emerging brand level, there could be more opportunity, um, just for, for smaller loans and things like that, um. Of course, you have your small business loans um, that you could pursue, but IPOs being, um, you know, one route that you could pursue. I guess all to say with the financial markets in general loosening in 2024, that would indicate that um, more brands would pursue the IPO route as well. So I think that alone would um, suggest to us that. Um, you, you should expect more brands to go public this year. But it's really hard to say. I, I don't know. Public brands are such a funny thing because it's like, you know, I think at, at, at its most we see, I think we maybe have seen 25 brands go public in a year at its height. If I'm remembering correctly, a couple years ago, it was just like IPO Palooza. Um, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's not a ton. Um, and then it's always funny because, I, you know, then you watch the brands come off the market you know, after a couple of years, I mean, you Panera, make up your mind. Like, um, so that's a very, I don't know if niche is the right word, but you know, the public markets are not for everybody. Right. Okay. Um, but it is at least, I guess, a barometer of the general financial markets and in restaurant investment. And then the more brands cho- choosing the IPO route can be a barometer that, um, you know, restaurant financial, um, the restaurant financial market in general is healthy.
0: Well, you know, According to some experts, we have Taylor Swift to thank for the economy.
1: <laughs> okay, Holly, I'll bite. Why?
0: No, because her her tour has sold like it's made so much money that like a lot of financial it's experts gun. I'm I'm quoting them. I did not make this up to appease Leanne, who's a big
2: Taylor Swift fan. I did not make this up. <laughs> Listen, no, I know you didn't make it up cuz I've read it too, but as a as a Swiftie who probably spent close to a thousand dollars on Taylor Swift last year across across the board um, I think that's silly <laughs> <laughs> I don't i I don't know because you know what if not Taylor Swift I still would have spent that thousand dollars I don't <laughs> know on what but I- I'm so glad
1: this has become a personal finances podcast. Um, but but yes, I mean, I was going to say, if not Taylor Swift, there are other events, uh, you know, that fill the void, right? Whether that's yeah. Beyonce or, or whatever. But I mean, point taken that, you know, if a, a Taylor Swift concert generates millions of dollars for a local economy, not just because of the ticket sales, but because of the restaurant you go to before you go to the Taylor Swift concert. So, okay, I can see it. Um, but... But, you know, most concerts are super expensive these days. So taylors let's just say Taylor Swift is not the messiah we should all make her out to be. <laughs> She's just another good act that people are attracted to go see and put some money into a local economy.
0: Well, so my point after that was going to be that, um, you know, we saw Kava's giant IPO last year when the economy was not as good. And so, I mean, what? What does that mean for the future of like the Panera IPO, which we're expecting to be giant? Like, is that going to explode even more because the economy will be in a better place? Like, those are the kind of things I'm thinking about, because if Kava is any example of what's going on in the industry, I think we can expect some crazy numbers from the brands that go public this year and a better financial market.
1: Kava is also part of the reason Kava did so well, though, is because this is a brand on the rise, right? I mean, this is a brand that is still not even close to um, saturating the market. It's got a ton of white space ahead of it. Um, And Panera is not in that position. Panera um, is in most, if not all states, um, you know, pretty much everywhere, has a Panera at this point. Um, sure it will continue to grow, but you know, an IPO, um, you know, Kava is, it's as much a bet in its future as it is in its present. Um, and, and so Kava I would suggest has a brighter future than Panera simply because it's got a longer runway. You know what I mean? Um, so you're, um, well, anyway, but Panera purely because of the size of Panera you know, you that's a a safe bet, I guess you could say. Panera is a safe bet. Um, Kava's a bet with a bigger potential payoff. And I think that's so Panera, yes, it'll be a big IPO, but it will be um in line with I think with what you'll see with a lot of mature restaurants compared with what Kava did. Kava's was more in line with a sweet green, what sweet green did. Um, in that sweet green had a huge IPO because of the bet on its future, which arguably has not totally, you know, paid off, Um, but, you know, still could still yet pay off in the future.
0: I mean, what brands do you guys think would be exciting to go public this year? Like the first one that comes to mind for me is like if Big Chicken went public, like I think that would be massive or like a Nashville hot chicken brand. Like I think one of those could do a really banger job on an IPO. What are you guys thinking in terms of like, what could you see?
1: (sighs) Well, if we look at the most exciting brands out there today, I mean, Crumble is entirely franchised, um, which is not to say it couldn't do an IPO, but it doesn't need an IPO. Um, And, uh, you know, another fast grower on the top of my head is... I just had it. <laughs> Dave's hot chicken. That was what I was looking for. Dave's hot chicken. Cause related to what you were saying. I mean, these are some of the more exciting brands out there. Um, so could be seen to capitalize on the interest. Um, but again, um, if you're a heavily franchised brand, I mean, if you don't need to file an IPO, why would you? Right. Um, if you don't need that financing from the public markets, but because you're a franchise and there's a lot of interest in franchising, you're not going to do it. Um, that's why restaurants in general do not have as many, um, do not go to the public market as much as other industries is because franchising is so healthy for this industry. Um, so I don't know. I'd have to think about that one. Leanne, you got anybody?
2: Um, I don't know a lot about their business model, but my first thought was dig, um, you know, it was the, it was the fastest growing emerging chain last year. Now, a lot of that is because of units they had closed during the pandemic, but they're, you know, back on track now they're, um, very, very, very heavily focused on New York city. So if they ever wanted to expand beyond the city, um, head to the other coast, move inland, like that could be, it's a brand that like could have a lot of runway if it wants it. But again, I don't know like what their long-term plans are um, or how they plan to get there, but that's one that would be exciting. And then of course, my other first thought was like, you know, it's always exciting for us when the big brands go public. Like I remember when we first got wind that Subway was considering a sale like a year ago this week, Uh, you know, when one of the things was like, do you think somebody would take Subway public? Like not that Subway has any runway in front of it. In fact, quite the opposite, but it would be exciting and we would talk about it a lot. So, you know, my brain went, you know, Panda Express or, you know, whatever other like big private restaurant companies we've still got would at least be fun to talk about. (laughs) Well,
0: I think that's the point of an IPO. I don't know if like it gives you so much attention. Like we're talking about pinstripes. We weren't talking about it before. Like there's something to be said for an IPO that you're bringing attention to a brand that you may not have attention otherwise. Like it's you want to show that you're out in the market, you're growing. Like we're here, and I think that there's like a publicity point to going public
1: too. It's a pretty risky marketing campaign, though. You're <laughs> so hopefully, say, you're not doing it for publicity.
2: I think it's a nice. It can be a nice benefit, but it's not a reason to go public. You know, my um sister recently, quote unquote, discovered Kava um, when she was visiting a friend in North Carolina and then realized that one had just opened near her in Austin. Um, And she was telling me about it. And I was like, oh, yeah, they like went public recently. It went really well. And my sister was like, what are you talking about? And so the average, like, American has no idea what's happening on the IPO (laughs) market. You know what I mean? (laughs) So it is a wonderful benefit. And like, Indirectly, yes, the IPO did cause the buzz that caused my sister to start going to Kava all the time, Um, but it's not a reason to go public. Well,
0: let's talk about another big brand that's going to make a splash next year or may make a splash next year. It's still TBD, Um, but Tropical Smoothie Cafe, which is one of the fastest growing chains in the US, um, is considering a sale. The price tag is rumored to be $2 billion which uh, is a substantial amount of money for a restaurant sale. Uh, so, I mean, we were talking about this with Subway last year. Like, who was going to buy Subway? It was supposed to be like $9 billion. Um, $2 billion is a little bit more reasonable, but we are almost definitely going to go to private equity if it gets sold. Um, I mean, like, this brand has been growing at a fast clip for years. It's been one of the fastest growers for a long time, um, as opposed to the other brand that's rumored to go public, Chuck E. Cheese, which is the opposite. Um, they're looking for a turnaround. Tropical Smoothie Cafe is looking just to boost where they're going. So um, what do you guys think about the potentials for sales this year? Like, do you think that we're going to see a big mergers and acquisitions year? Are we going to see Tropical Smoothie Cafe get sold for $2 billion? What's really going on?
1: Yeah, I mean, similar to what I was saying about the financial markets, right, um, that the appetite to invest in the industry um, Will will determine all of this, and I, I and the signs seem to point to there being more hunger for that that investment because of um, the rates coming down and things like that. Um, but you know, as it relates to Tropical Smoothie Cafe in particular, um, this is a brand that's been on a tear for a few years, maybe more than a few years. Um, and it's for a number of reasons. I mean, for starters, it's got great leadership in CEO Charles Watson. Um, you know, it's a franchise brand and it occupies a very unique um, corner of the industry in that as a smoothie chain, um, you know, there's a couple other um, fairly sizable competitors out there. Yes. But when it comes to like franchising, you don't have a whole lot of options in the smoothie category. And so they've found robust interest on the franchising side of things. Um, and so that has helped them grow very quickly. Um, but, you know, going back to sort of that uniqueness in the marketplace as a, you know, treat concept, let's call it snack treat concept is how I guess we would designate it, even though it does have, you know, some food options and, and, uh, but you know, it's core menu item being the smoothie, um, it is, it, it, it very much occupies this place where, um, uh, it, it is a lifestyle brand, I guess you could say, to a T. I don't love that um, label, but it describes so much of what restaurants are striving for, which is to be a regular part of a customer's routine. And smoothies, especially for those who are, um, you know, pursuing healthier lifestyles um, or just, you know, needing a snack or filling a day part, you know, smoothies are just such a, um, uh, a great option um, and and fill a need in a unique way that so many other snack treat concepts cannot. Um, which means that Tropical Smoothie still has so much runway ahead of it. And not to spoil anything too much, but to hint at something, we've got something coming out in a couple of weeks um, that Tropical Smoothie Cafe uh, performs very well on. Um, let me just say that Tropical Smoothie Cafe is beloved by a lot of consumers. And it's because of what I was just saying, which is like so many consumers count it as one of their favorite brands because, you know, either on their way to work or on their way to the gym, on their way to pick up kids, whatever it is, they're swinging in for that smoothie and it is a reliable destination for um, that part of their life. And, And therefore they reward Tropical Smoothie Cafe with their loyalty and by you know treating it as one of their favorite brands, and um, you know once a brand like that can embed its way into your lifestyle, of course it's going to perform very well. So um, kind of rambling, but I think what I'm trying to get at is you're going to see deals for brands like that, which are um, call it recession proof, call it competitor proof. You know the 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 800 um, pound gorilla in the category. Uh, it should dictate a high price point because it's not going to fade away. It's only going to grow. And if consumers love it, franchisees love it, um, then it's just as safe a bet as they come. So that's why I just think Tropical Smoothie Cafe, which by the way has blown past, you know, a thousand locations. It's blown past, I believe a billion dollars in sales. If I'm remembering correctly. Um, And so uh, all of its financials show that it's, um, really, uh, on a, an incredible trajectory. So I'm sure a lot of suitors are going to line up to pay for it.
2: Yeah. I do think overall this year, we'll <clears throat> probably see more transactions among the bigger chains. Uh, in 2023, we had just over 20 M&A deals, I believe. Um, and most of them were smaller emerging brands now obviously we have the Subway deal kind of anchoring the M&A news and it doesn't get bigger than that. But other than Subway, I mean, there was like Poyo Tropical, Smoky Bones, but most of the deals were with emerging brands under 20 units. Um, and that's great. It was still a very exciting year for mergers and acquisitions, but I do think that this year we're going to see more. I mean, we're already talking about Tropical Smoothie Cafe, Chuck E. Cheese. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we see more deals among the top say, 100 chains, along with those deals for the smaller emerging ones. But I think a lot of the bigger chains are thinking about what their next big move is for the first time in several years. I mean, we say this a lot, but uh, there was so much time spent in survival mode. Um, And chains really started coming out of that last year. But now they can think about, okay... We're back on our feet. We have an idea of what we want our future to look like. Now, how are we going to get there? And that's why I think we're going to see more IPOs and more deals among these bigger chains, in addition to the smaller ones that we've already started to see more of over the last couple of years.
0: To build on what Sam was saying earlier, you know, Alicia Kelsa wrote this great piece that, you know, snack, snack companies are just on the rise because consumers want more of them. It's increased like a percentage point over the past year that consumers are Like they're going to these snack concepts, they're craving them, they want to be there, and it's benefiting brands like Tropical Smoothie because the segment is rising. That people want these midday snacks. We've been talking about it for a while how day parts are shifting, and this midday section is building faster than anything else. Like you think about Dutch Bros, that's a middle of the day section, and so we're looking at brands like Tropical Smoothie that are really filling that hole for a lot of guests and it's working people are really looking for that day part
1: and from a you know discretionary income standpoint with uh, prices going um so high inflation being such an issue um you know consumers pulling back uh, on their restaurant spending a bit you know the data is kind of all over the place because it seems like at the end of the year in 23 traffic did start to kind of gain some momentum but by and large 2023 traffic was a real issue because of inflation, consumers are really pulling back. Snacking, you know, can be a little bit safe from that because of the price point being modest. Um, You know, now I don't have any data to show how much the snack category itself uh, increased prices, but um, if they did much, they're still coming from a very low price point. So snacking still remains a a value-oriented category. Um, and in this day and age, that means something. So yeah, uh, people are looking for, um, that afternoon snack or mid morning snack. They're looking for a value play and they're looking for something tasty and unique. And a lot of these, especially like the smoothie chains or coffee chains that are doing a lot with menu innovation can provide that.
0: I mean, look at Cosmics. If McDonald's is seizing on the day part, like, you know, it's, it's really growing if they want to invest in it. So, I mean, I think that's the biggest sign that, snacking is here to stay and i think that's really going to bode well for tropical smoothie cafe
1: imitation the sincerest form of flattery as they say
0: (laughs) as they say as they say (laughs) i'm gonna thank my lovely co-host for joining me today thanks Thanks, Sally.